are dismissed while you turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5, if you would, 2 Kings chapter 5. While the young people are dismissed, I feel I have to make kind of a public service, service announcement here uh, just to set some records straight. I have heard, I, do, I teach the uh, teen Sunday school class, and I heard that during the adult Sunday school class today, there was some words said against coffee. And I just want to set the record straight that at Bible Baptist Church, we are for coffee. Amen? <laughs> when you have monsoons and typhoons, it is water that causes the damage. Water can be very dangerous. It is water in which the Titanic went down, not coffee. Amen? <laughs> coffee is a good thing. And so we want to lift that up. And if you heard any heretical messages in Sunday school against coffee, I just want to set that record straight today, okay? Pastor Forsberg says he's not old enough to drink coffee yet. Can you believe that? I don't know how old he thinks he has to be for it, but anyway. First Kings chapter, I'm sorry, did I say first? Second. If I said first, I apologize. Second Kings chapter 5. Appreciate uh, being here today, and we have some visitors with us. We're grateful for you making the time. Glad to see Brother Richard 80 back. Man, what a blessing. Been praying for him, going through some difficulties this past week, and uh, great to see him back as well. Last week we started talking, uh, looking at the account of Naaman, and so uh, because I had so much to say on this subject, kind of took two weeks to do it, but Naaman was one of the most unlikely people on earth to meet the God of Israel. He was extremely successful, he was wealthy, he was politically connected, and he was uh, part of the enemy state of Israel, uh, Syria. Nobody in his life, I mean not all of his successful friends, not all of his powerful connections, nobody in his life would have anything to do or give the God of Israel a second thought. Yet as we saw last week, Naaman does go and seek out the prophet of Israel, and he does meet the God of Israel. He does find the one true God. He is converted And because of that, this story, I think, is worthy of our investigation. We'll do a little bit of review from last week for those who you weren't here, and then we'll seek uh, to see what the Lord will have us to see today. I love to see people's testimonies or to hear people's testimonies, uh, why people seek the Lord and then how they got saved. And so we did that (coughs) a little bit last week as we saw Naaman's approach to the God of Israel. This week I'm going to start reading in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse number 15. Now this is after he has received his healing. Now he's coming back to the man of God. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. And he said, As the Lord liveth, before whom I stand, this is Elisha talking, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall I there, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. Is this thing the Lord pardon thy servant? That when thy, my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at the, his hands that which he brought, 
But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Father, I pray today you'd help us as we look at this story and a few more verses to be clear what you'd have for us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Naaman, as we saw last week, is the supreme military commander of the army of Syria. He was wealthy, he was powerful, he was successful, he was politically connected. He had everything that the world could offer. He had everything that you go after in the world. And yet five words in the Bible wiped out all of his accomplishments. When the Bible says, but he was a leper. You see, nothing else mattered when he found that out. He had a disease that could not be cured. Even with all that he had, the world and all that was in it could not help him. He ends up going to Israel, seeking the cure, seeking the God of Israel. This was in response to a realization that Naaman had that every single one of us must have. See, we are conditioned to think that when we have problems in our life of any type, the problems come from outside, some circumstance, some person, who wrongs us, or whatever the case might be. The problems come from out there, and the answer to those problems lie in here. You see this in our literature. You see it in our movies. You see it in our self-help books. But the, and you have problems, but the way to handle those problems, you have what it takes inside you. The Bible says the exact opposite. The problems are not from out there, and the solution is in here. The Bible teaches that our biggest problems are right to the here. place where we say, my problems really come from inside me, and I need to go to God to find the solution. Otherwise, you won't find spiritual healing. And so Naaman goes to Israel. He has with him, I find it interesting that the prophet's door, the prophet doesn't even come out to see him. He sends out a servant and uh, tells Naaman, go to dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be cured. Naaman is absolutely furious. He won't go at first. He's furious because he basically, and this is in our verses earlier here, but he says, I'm a man of resource. I'm a man of morality. I'm a man of character. I'm here to earn my cure. Wash in the Jordan River? Anyone could do that. Even a child could do that. Doesn't God know who I am? Elijah asks him to do something that will change the way that he thinks. He has to learn that this God of Israel gives salvation by grace. He does not give salvation by it being earned. Nobody can earn it. Friends, still today we cannot earn it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For there is none righteous, no, not one. And uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Naaman had to go as a humble sinner receiving God's grace just as we all do. And then he not only got a cure for his body, <clears throat> but he got to, uh, he, re, he re, rethunk, rethinked, rethought his whole spiritual reality. You got to forgive me, I was homeschooled, amen? <clears throat> that was the goodest thing that ever happened to me. Somebody put it this way, and I gave this quote last week, the only thing you need to become a Christian is nothing. And very, very few people have that. Because you see, most of us come with something. We come with our works. We come with our church membership in hand. We come with uh, something. We want to do something to earn it, but we need 
nothing. Naaman had to learn, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And every single one of us have to come to Christ like that. And when Naaman came with nothing, and he simply did as God had commanded, and he dunked himself seven times, he got his cure, but not only did he get his cure, something happened on the inside. He met God, and he was converted. Now, remember, Naaman was a pagan. He knew nothing about God. He had no religious background, and yet he is converted. He gets a changed heart. Gehazi, the other player in our story today, he is the servant of the prophet, probably, presumably knew the word of God inside out, and he doesn't have a changed heart. So Naaman meets God. He has no religious background. Gehazi misses God, and he has the religious background. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? How sad when people miss it. I want to look today at the marks of a man who has met God. That's Naaman. The marks of a man who missed God. That's Gehazi. And then how you can be sure and not miss God. Uh, looking first of all at the marks of a man who has met God. Verse 14, Naaman has gotten his cure. Now he comes back. And in the beginning of our text, we see the marks of a man who has encountered the living God. Remember, he has come he came with the hopes of buying his cure. Now, he, uh, we see first he has a change in his thinking. In verse 15, But he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know now, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now listen very carefully. It's super important in this verse to notice the wording. Because if Naaman had come back to the prophet and said, Now I know that your God is more powerful than my God. There would have been no change in Naaman's heart. At that time, outside of Israel, everyone pretty much was pluralistic. There was lots of gods floating around. Every state, every country, every nation, every even region had their own gods that they worshipped. People believed in many gods. But this miracle rocked Naaman to the core. He comes back and he says, hey, there are no gods in all the world but this one God. That's an incredible change. By the way, we're we are still pluralistic in our world today. The statement that Naaman made is as outrageous today as it was back then. Let me give a couple of quotes here. Oprah, Winbag, uh, Oprah Winfrey, I'm sorry. There are millions of ways to God, she said. There are as many ways to God as there are religions, philosophies, and other beliefs. Another one, Zalman Shalomi. Do not exalt any path above God. There are many paths that lead to God. People are capable of finding and following the ways that suit them. That's the thinking of our time. My Lord said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man, no man cometh to the Father but through me. R.C. Sproul said, in the culture of pluralism, that's us today, the only thing that cannot be tolerated is a claim to exclusivity. And that's true as to much today as it was in Naaman's time. But Naaman came to the point where he said, I realize now there's only one God. All these other gods are jokes. They're made up. They're figments of people's imaginations. There's only one true God, and I want to worship him. We have to recognize that even today. Listen, even the demons of hell recognize this. James chapter 2, verse 19, Thou believest and sayest, There is one God, and thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Secondly, 
Naaman has a completely new attitude about his possessions. The second thing he says is important here. Now, therefore, he said, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. I already mentioned that Naaman came to Israel with a lot of silver and gold. He was, uh, we don't know how much, but we know it was a lot. It very well could have been more money than anybody in Israel had at that time. He came down ready, uh, he came to Israel ready to lay it down and to get his cure. And why not? All the wealth in the world does you no good when you're dead and gone. He was willing to give everything he had to get this cure. You can't take it with you. I heard a story of an elderly deacon. He was about to die. One day he told his wife he wanted to take all his money to heaven with him when he died. And so he said, I want you to just basically cash out everything we have, put all the cash in a suitcase and put it up in the attic and I'll grab it on my way up to heaven came to pass, the old deacon did die a few weeks later, and, and a few days went by, and his wife thought, you want to go check the attic, and she went up, and she saw the money was still sitting there, and she thought, you know, that old codger, I knew I should have put that money in the basement. All right, just think on that for a second. Originally, that story was, a, was about a preacher. I like deacons better to put in that story there. <laughs> You can't take it with you. There's no trailer hitches on hearses. You leave it all when you die. And so Naaman understood that. He's ready to give anything he had. But now Naaman gets his cure for free. He doesn't have to pay a penny for it. But he still comes back and he says, Hey, accept this gift. Uh, he calls it a blessing here. Baracha is the original word for the word blessing there. And it means gift. So why give his money now if he's already got what he came for? The answer is clear. He is not giving his money to get anything now. He is giving his money out of joy and out of gratitude for what God did. One of the marks of a person who has met the grace of God is a drastic increase in their generosity. Because let's be honest about money. For, many, for most people, money is not just money. It's self-esteem currency. Your money determines how you feel about yourself. Your money determines whether you feel accomplished. Your money determines whether you feel like you've made it in life. Whether you feel secure. Really, when it comes down to it, for many people, money is their self-worth. That's why we buy things we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people we don't even like. That's why we do things like that. Because it's our, our self-esteem is tied up in our things. Jesus said a man's uh, value doesn't consist in the things that he possesses. And yet, that's how we think sometimes. Now, when God and his grace, when that becomes your self-worth, when God becomes your security, when God becomes your value, now money is just money. And we look at it differently, as did Naaman. Now, there's more than here than just the money thing. <coughs> Notice he says, I pray thee take a blessing of thy servant. And this is huge that Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, everyone served him. He was at the top of the top of the food chain. For him to say to an Israelite civilian, I'm your servant, represents a huge change in his thinking. The world's philosophy is diametrically opposed to God's. You know, there's two roads 
that we can go down, we find ourselves on. There's an attitude of Satan, which is your life for mine. Your life to benefit my life. And many of us, that's exactly how we create our relationships. That's how we create our friendships. Your life for mine. You're in my life to make my life better. This is why we get upset and offended as soon as that person stops benefiting me. That's the path of the road of Satan right there. That's how Satan thinks. Your life for mine. Jesus Christ thinking is my life for yours. My life to benefit you. Now every day in a hundred different ways, you're going to have an opportunity as you live your life to choose one of those roads to walk on. You'll choose the road of your life for mine. I can't believe what that person did to me or said to me. And you'll, it'll all be focused on you. Or you'll live your life like Jesus did. My life for yours. And I'm go- that put, changes our thinking entirely. Becoming more like Satan or more like Jesus. Which path are you on? Naaman had a change in his thinking. He had a new attitude toward his possessions. Thirdly, God has become a central part of his life. Now, this, this is where this story gets a little exciting. <coughs> read these verses and read through it the first time, and maybe it can be confusing to some of us. Let's read it again in verse number 17. <coughs> Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given thy servant two mules' burden of earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord? In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. He said unto him, Go in peace. Now what's going on here? First of all, it's clear that Naaman has accepted the one true God. He's made that abundantly clear. But he's going home. He's going home to a bunch of idol worshippers, He's going back to his pagan friends. And remember, in pagan nations, the national religion is connected to the national government. So their god, which was Rimen here, was essentially a deification of the nation. This would give tremendous power to the king who would be intricately tied to the deity. It was all one conglomerate. Government, god, and uh, this gave a lot of power over the people. So remember, Naaman is in government. He is... has a high position. As one of the king's closest confidants, Naaman would be included in future ceremonies. He talks about them here. He would have to go through certain rituals, like he is worshiping Reman. Uh, Presumably, he's standing there beside the king, and he even talks about it, and the king would bow, and and he probably is going to have to bow in in obeisance with him and and go through these rituals and ceremonies. And he's telling Elisha here, now, I'm worshiping the true God, and I don't worship Rimen anymore, and I, I have to go back, and there's this world waiting for me there, and I'm going to do things, I'm going to say things that make it look like I'm worshiping Rimen, but here's what I'd like to do, Elisha. I'd like to get some earth, from, bring it back from Israel, two mule loads worth, and let me load up some soil. And uh, by the way, this was a common thing, transporting of holy sail was a, soil, sorry, was a widespread custom it would be recognized to, by anyone in that day. Now, we know, by the way, you can worship God anywhere. Amen? I remember when I was first saved as a child, and I would think, Ooh, tonight when I say my prayers, I've got to add this in and pray for that too. You can pray anytime. Amen? You can pray while you're driving. That's the one time that it's not necessary to shut your eyes while you're driving. 
uh, but you can pray, lift up prayers to God at any time. But Naaman's a new Christian, and he's saying here, so every time I kneel, I'm going to bring some of this dirt, and I'm going to cast it down, so I'm going to kneel on it, so everybody around me knows I'm not worshiping that God rim, and I'm worshiping the one true God of Israel. And in his culture, that would signify to the people around him that he is actually worshiping the Lord. And I love this part. He says to Elijah, you think God would be okay with that? See this, how he's asking? The Lord pardon thy servant this thing. Elisha, if I, if I do that, will that be okay? It's kind of comical to me. Elisha just says, go in peace. That's not a yes and that's not a no. He just says, go in peace. I have to think, this is a little bit of an immature thinking maybe in, in uh, Naaman's thinking, but I have the best I can come up with is that Elisha is allowing him to have time to grow in his faith. He's a new Christian and he's seeking the truth and he's excited and he will no doubt find it. But I like this fact that Naaman was going to be open about his new faith. Naaman wasn't going to be ashamed. He was going to come back with dirt and he's ready to throw it down and show anybody, hey, I might be bound on the outside to him, but I'm bound to the God of heaven on the inside and I'm going to demonstrate it to everybody who's around me. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light therefore shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If you notice, that's your memory verse for the week on the back of the bulletin this week. I didn't mention it earlier, but you got that little tear out. I've got at least one person who took my challenge, and they're memorizing that. Uh, and I did that myself as well. Uh, memorize those verses throughout the, the week of be hell. We are to make a difference in the world around us. So Naaman says, I'm going back. I'm going back to the pagans. I'm going back to the world. But bless God, I'm going to do my very best to point up when I do so. I'm going to be a light to those around me. Those are the marks of a man who met God. Then we see the marks of a man who missed God here. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha probably an apprentice prophet. Uh, Elisha would not take a gift from Naaman, even after Naaman urged him to do so, he refused. Now, Elisha knew what he was doing here. Uh, it's important that he not walk away from a gift. He was walking away from more money than he'd probably ever make in his lifetime. And you, say, you, you, you look at that story, by the way, this is why we know that a, Elisha was not a Baptist preacher because he said no to an offering, amen? But uh, is, is it wrong for a preacher to take an offering? Not at all. Would it have been theoretically wrong for Elisha to take the gift from, the, from uh, Naaman? No, it wouldn't have at all. So why is Elisha refusing? I think it's interesting to notice in verse 26, we see his answer, I believe, in the reprimand he gives to Gehazi. <coughs> About the middle of the verse there, turned again not from his chariot to meet thee. Is it a time to receive money? There's the key, I believe, to the answer. Is it really time to take money from him? What's he trying to say here? This is a major figure from a foreign nation comes and sees the grace of God, sees the truth of who God is, and the big lesson that he learned is that God is not for sale. You don't buy your salvation. You don't buy your spiritual healing. It is a matter of grace. It is a matter of mercy. 
It is a matter of a gift for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Elisha has just demonstrated this to Naaman clearly, and so he's going to go back now. He's going to bear witness to that fact. Elisha tried to get across this man the truth of the gospel <coughs> that salvation is by grace. He does not want to confound the message by taking a gift. Elisha, first of all, was a preacher of the word of God. His job was to preach the gospel. And it is a sorry preacher who lets money enter into his decisions. So if Elisha had to walk away from money to drive home a truth, he would do it in a heartbeat, and he did so. Gehazi had no such character. Naaman leaves, and Gehazi starts thinking, like, this is ridiculous. Look at all that. He, look at what we could do with all that. And Elisha just turns it down and and uh, maybe Gehazi was the one that paid the bills, and he realized that, that they could really, really use this income, and so he follows after Naaman, and he does a very Weasley thing. He tells a conniving lie to him. He doesn't say, my master changed his mind. That would seem suspicious. Uh, he comes up and says, hey, uh, we thought that maybe these two needy prophets that came in from the hills, and we could give them a blessing, and so he gives them money, brings it back, God reveals it to Elisha. You know the story. Uh, Gehazi gets the leprosy that God cured Naaman of. Now he is a leper in his place. Now lest you think this is as unwarranted or extreme, what can we learn from this? First, Gehazi was proud. Naaman was humble. Look at what he thinks of himself here. Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian brings up the man's race, uh, the demeaning attitude that he has and the fact that he's a Syrian, he's a heathen, he's a reprobate, he's a pagan. And so that gives him permission to go exploit him. You see the contrast here. Every single thing that God has done since Naaman has entered the country has been done to humble him, uh, to, get, uh, to even get to Israel. Naaman had to overcome a prejudice about people of a what they thought was a lesser race and people of a different religion. He had to overcome that prejudice. And everything had happened to get rid of his self-righteousness, his pride to humble him. And yet here is Gehazi, supposedly one of God's men, looking down his nose. He is self-righteous. He was proud. Secondly, Gehazi was religious while Naaman was a pagan. Naaman knew nothing about the Bible. Gehazi did. He sat at the feet of one of the greatest prophets in history, yet what happened? He's on the Satan path we talked about earlier. Uh, how can I use this person to benefit me? Oh, listen, friend. The world is full today of that type of people. Your life for mine. We need to be my life for your type of people. Amen? That would be a help. He's a religious man, but not a godly man. The grace of God makes you a better person. Let me tell you something, though, and don't miss this. Religion without God makes you a worse person if you'd had none of it at all. You take a man that has religion but not God, they become worse than a person that doesn't have any religion at all. Islam is an example of that. And so, he was a religious person, if you will. He makes it to church every week. He has a perfect attendance. He knows the Bible inside out. Yet he has completely missed God while Naaman met God. He has all the things that Naaman is not. He has none of the signs of a heart that has encountered God. Now, finally, how can you be sure to meet and not miss God? How, how are we going to be sure we don't miss it? Because here's the sad fact, friend. 
The church has people in it. I believe with all my heart that there's people that are going to be in church all their life, probably got baptized, probably became a member, maybe even taught a Sunday school class. They're going to stand before God one day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Haven't we done many wonders in thy name? And Christ says, depart from me. I never knew you. I can't imagine the shock that will be among some people. But what happens there? How do you miss it? Let's take another look at a player in this story we hadn't mentioned yet. The first part of the chapter. Let me read these two verses. Verse number 5. Chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse number 2. The Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. This here is the real hero of this story. She was taken captive. She's a slave in Naaman's house. Now, if you study the history of the brutality of Syria... Soldiers had come and done raids. She had been taken captive. Likely she saw her parents killed before her very eyes. If she had siblings, they also would be killed in front of her or captured as well and sold off, separated from her, her never seeing them again. She is a slave in a Syrian household. She's of a different race. Uh, she is, has no rights whatsoever. She's a female in a patriarchal society. She's young in a society that values age. What I'm saying is she's at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the food chain. Everything has been taken away from her. Her whole life has been robbed. And who's responsible for it? I'll tell you who's responsible for it. The supreme military commander of the army of Syria. In her bed at night, she thinks of the family that she'll never see. She thinks of the life that she'll never live. She thinks of the misery that she'll always endure. And she's in the very house of the man that's responsible for it. Then she hears he gets leprosy. Not just put yourself in her shoes. How would you respond? Yeah! He got leprosy. I can't wait to dance on his grave. Nobody could deserve it more. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. He got leprosy. She said this, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. There's love there. There's compassion there. There's even longing there. Now there's only one way that could be possible. She has experienced forgiveness in her heart. Now think about it here. Everything, don't miss this, everything hinges on her attitude. Whether Naaman lives or dies hinges on her attitude. Whether Naaman receives the Lord, it hinges on her attitude. <clears throat> she could either take the suffering and forgive him. Oh, it must have been hard to forgive, friend. Can you imagine? And he lives. Or she could not take the suffering, pay him back for, letting him, uh, for, for the suffering he brought on her, and he dies. His life is in her hands. And she forgives. She loves him enough to tell him. I read about one preacher who preached on this text years ago, and I, I like the way he put it. She paid the price for usefulness. Now I explain that. When you're wronged, and you refuse to forgive, and you hold on to the anger, it might be satisfying 
for a while. It might be rewarding to stay angry. It might even feel good to pay the person back. But it turns you into a person who's not useful to anybody, including yourself. She forgave him at tremendous cost to herself. She bore the suffering quietly and turned herself into someone who was incredibly useful, a compassionate person, extraordinarily useful to Naaman and many others. That's why he was saved, because he had a suffering servant in his life. Do you, he had a servant who wronged him. Though he wronged, she forgave him. She bore the cost. That's why he met God. Now just grasp the truth behind this. You, my friend, have a suffering servant available to you. He's the ultimate suffering servant. The one to whom this little girl points. He is also was separated from his father. He came to earth in exile. Oh, but the pain of his separation was far greater than any pain that this little girl experienced or anybody has ever experienced for that matter. He comes to the human race. We rejected him. We tortured him. And as he is dying... As nails are being pounded in his hands, he says those words we know so well, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He has our lives in his hands. But because he bears our suffering, we can live. That's how you can find God. Friend, have you ever met God? I mean really met God. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about being baptized. You can be baptized so often, you know the frogs by name. It's not going to do you any good without God in your life. Have you met God? Have you met the Lord and has He impacted your life to the point that you're changed like Naaman was changed? Has He made a difference in you? Have you accepted His Son as your Savior? Listen, He suffered and He died and He came so that you could do that very thing. Now, we're left with some choices. If we're in the situation we find this girl, first pay the price for usefulness. Are you suffering right now? Has something bad happened in your life? Has somebody wronged you and you're angry? Has unfairness happened to you? Pay the price of usefulness and forgive. As this girl did. It is the only way you'll remain good to anybody. It's the only way you'll remain good to yourself, to God, to anybody. It's if you pay the price for usefulness. Secondly, don't only look at this girl as an example. Look at her as one who directs you to the one who isn't only your example, but is your Savior, the ultimate suffering servant. Believe in Him. Embrace Him. And I promise you, He will change you just like He changed Naaman. Everything changed the day Naaman met God. How about you, friend? Have you ever met God? Really met Him? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'll ask the question a different way. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out, but I'll ask you the question this way. If something happened to you today,